You're listening to a CNA podcast. Hi there, and welcome to the Climate Conversations. I'm your host, Julie Yu. Last week, Singapore's Finance Minister and Deputy Minister Lawrence Wong announced the launch of the whopping $5 billion Singapore dollar future energy fund during his budget speech. This is all about turbocharging Singapore's shift towards cleaner energy, with one big target in mind, slashing our emissions to net zero by 2050. Singapore has been cozying up to natural gas for a while now, but Deputy Prime Minister Lawrence Wong made it clear that it's time to shake things up, which may include tapping on geothermal and even nuclear energy. But Singapore is facing its fair share of hurdles, like cramped spaces for wind and solar power and the hefty price tags on cutting-edge tech like green hydrogen and ammonia. To help us dig into Singapore's journey towards cleaner energy, you've got Katsunari Fuku, decarbonization leader for Asia at GE Vernova. Kaz, welcome to the Climate Conversations. Thank you very much for having us. Let's first touch on that $5 billion future energy fund. I mean, it's a significant sum. Just how big a deal is it for Singapore to be committing this amount of money? It is indeed, and we're very pleased to hear the Singapore government commitment. So this future energy fund, 5 billion Singapore dollar injection into providing some of the catalytic funding for driving the critical energy infrastructure build, is very promising indeed. And this energy transition is a space which does require funding to drive this transition. And we really believe this will create some meaningful development, investment in R&D, and so on to make sure this energy transition takes place in Singapore. So we really commend the progress the Singapore government is making in this area. And really, Singapore government is setting some of the examples in the region and globally as well, in terms of taking that kind of forward-thinking approach in driving energy transition. You've been in this industry, in this space for a long time. What sort of aspects of this fund personally excited you the most? Yeah, so the energy transition requires a huge investment globally. Mm. And then today, everyone recognizes that actually there's a short of investment in order to truly achieve the transition we require and then reduce the emission and have sustainable energy. And in this kind of environment, we cannot depend on private funding alone. Mm. We need the government support to provide some of the securities, confidence in the marketplace to start investing in this space. It's interesting to consider... Why is Singapore is making this move now? Why is now a critical time for such a substantial injection of funds? Because 2050 seems like I know, a long time away. It is indeed, right? And when you look at the time frame, we think there's plenty of time. Mm. From the infrastructure perspective, we're actually facing a huge urgency in this space, right? And just to put things in perspective, so globally emission level of CO2 today, we talk about 37 gigaton. Of emission. And then we try to contain the global temperature rise to 1.5 degrees, right, from the pre-industrial level. Now, to do that, we only have the budget available to emit another 380 gigaton. So 10 times our annual amount is only left to emit. Mm. Otherwise, we have no hope of achieving this temperature increase limitation. Mm. So that's why we have this urgency to reduce the annual emission globally. And as you know very well, the infrastructure takes time to develop. This is not something we can decide to invest today and something happens tomorrow. True. Many of the power plants take six years to build. Mm. And some of the infrastructure takes decades to build, right? So suddenly when you start putting that into the context and then the lack of investment we talked about earlier, suddenly the time is not enough. Mm. And in 2050, it's approaching very, very fast. Yeah, I guess when it comes to planning for the future, every penny counts. And of course, the question is, 
Where will it all go? Where do you see the bulk of this money go to? Yeah, so I think this will go to the various areas of uh, technologies that the government is looking at. So whether you're looking to the areas of the grid enhancement to bring in the clean electricity from neighboring countries, mm-hmm. that's one of the initiatives to increase the clean power in Singapore. Investment into the hydrogen generation, storage and delivery. Right. That's another way to provide a clean power from existing power asset here in Singapore. And associated with that is a build-up of ammonia infrastructure. So today, mm-hmm. hydrogen is not easy to carry. We bring in a form of ammonia. So that's why Singapore is investing into ammonia power generation, ammonia bunkering for ships, and so on. And then we also there's a talk about geothermal and nuclear and so on as well, right? So mm-hmm. truly, really diversifying, looking at every possibility for decarbonizing and also creating the Singapore sustainable energy here. Yeah, no stone unturned. But presently, natural gas powers about 95% of Singapore's electricity supply. And even as we try to decarbonize the power sector, and Singapore is not completely doing away with it, right? In fact, the Deputy Prime Minister, he announced that it will develop the second LNG terminal by the end of the decade. But natural gas, this isn't a permanent solution, right? You bring a very good point, Julie. And really, today, Singapore is dependent on natural gas whether it's the pipe natural gas from Malaysia or India or LNG from around the world. So we're diversifying in terms of source of gas, but at the end of the day, fuel-wise, we are 96% dependent on natural gas for our power generation here. Now, the gas has a very interesting role to play in this energy transition. I mean, simplistic view is to say gas is a fossil fuel, carbon emitting, so it is a bad thing, Mm. right? But in broader context of things, number one, actually the gas is the cleanest fossil fuel. So compared to coals and so on, if you change from coal power to gas power, you already reduce the emission between 50 to 60%. Mm. So it's one of the cleaner ways. So while neighboring countries in Singapore may be using quite a lot of coal, Singapore has already made like, the significant move from oil, coal to the gas portion. And then the gas provides a very dependable power as well. Mm. So as we talk about the increasing renewables, we actually need a dependable power to supply the electricity when there's no wind blowing, there's no sunshine, uh-huh. and so on. So what do you do in that situation? So you could have various dependable power sources, such as nuclear, hydropower, and gas is one of them. Right? So in that sense, it's a critical dependable power that we can have. Mm-hmm. And also, interesting thing, Julie, here is that this gas technology has got the potential to decarbonize in the future. Mm. So we talk about the hydrogen, ammonia, these low-carbon fuels, that will make the emission from these gas technologies net zero. Or you can do the carbon capture. You can capture the carbon from back end of the emission and again make it a net zero technology. So in a sense, this has a critical role to play in terms of providing power today, but also in the future potential to decarbonize. Oh, so that's why it's very interesting as well. And also Singapore is paying lots of attention in terms of utilizing existing assets here. So just one more interesting data point here is that we have a unit called the GT26 in Singapore, which we have seven of them here, powering 30% of Singapore. And these are already hydrogen ready, mm. so they can take a 40% hydrogen. So should the fuel be available, there's already decarbonized gas power potential in Singapore. And I mean, the scale of these things are big, right? That's another interesting point. So recently, our customer has done an upgrade of one of the units, mm-hmm. only improved the efficiency by one percentage point but reduce the CO2 emission by 24,000 tons. And then also that's equivalent about removing 5,000 cars off the road. Mm. So you can see the scale of the impact these things has. And I think Singapore is doing the right thing in terms of investing and then into the hydrogen infrastructure, ammonia infrastructure, try to decarbonize these assets, as well as seeing other sources of electricity. 
So natural gas isn't just a backup energy supply for renewables. But you did mention how it could help with reliability challenges when it comes to renewables. Let's talk about some challenges and barriers. The energy transition in small, resource-constrained country like Singapore. I mean, it comes with its fair share of unique obstacles and challenges. Could you walk us through some of them? Yep, certainly. And I think that brings a very intelligent point for Singapore. Mm. You know, other countries have got access to natural resources, right? So countries may have access to the wind, solar, geothermal, or other countries may have land mm. to accommodate the larger power plants or have large nuclear power plants and so on. Singapore, of course, a resource constraint. We don't have natural gas. Wind is not enough. Solar, we're tapping into a certain extent, but again, land is not enough, right? Yeah. And then having a large nuclear power plant, quite challenging for Singapore. So in a sense, highly complex situation where we are in Singapore in terms of how do we diversify? And also when we think about this energy supply, we think about three balances. One is how do we make it sustainable? Mm. How do we make it affordable? And also how do we make it reliable in that situation? Trilemma. <laughs> right, exactly. And then energy security becomes a big issue. Mm. So you cannot be just completely dependent on uh, particular sources because that risks the energy security piece as well. So that's why I think Singapore is looking into current LNG gas-based power is okay. Mm. But on top of that, getting the renewable power from neighboring countries, investing in its own solar exploring geothermal nuclear options and so on. All right, let's get right into it. Let's start with hydrogen. You've mentioned it a few times now. Remind our listeners about the potential benefits of hydrogen carrier ammonia. What is that exactly and how does it power our homes? Certainly. So hydrogen is getting lots of attention because when you combust hydrogen, there's no emission, right? Mm. So today, if you have abundance of hydrogen, you can decarbonize, of course, the power sector but then also the transportation or the industry sector as well. And many areas, if you have a zero emission fuel, that really helps. That's why hydrogen is getting lots of attention in that space. And then globally, you see various development taking place, whether it's in, in the region, in Australia, India, China, even Indonesia, looking at producing this hydrogen from renewable sources. Mm. So idea is that let's use renewable energy to create the hydrogen which when combusted is going to be zero emissions. So perfect value chain. Mm. Now, Julie, you mentioned about challenges of hydrogen. So a couple of things. When you talk about this kind of clean hydrogen, today it's very expensive to make. So that's number one. The infrastructure is not quite there. Generation method is everyone is experimenting. So it's very expensive today. But hopefully, again, cost will come down with the volume and so on. Mm. And then comes the transportation issues. So how do we carry the hydrogen? Mm. Today, unfortunately, carrying as a hydrogen gas is too voluminous, and then try to liquefy it, you have to go beyond minus 250 degrees. So it's a very energy intensive to make it liquid hydrogen and carry. So again, technology is developing, but today that's not really an option in a large scale. So then comes the story of ammonia. Ammonia is considered as a good hydrogen carrier. So the idea is that you combine nitrogen and hydrogen, you make ammonia, and then transport it. Mm. And the interesting thing is that ammonia actually is transported globally today. So there's about 200 million tons of ammonia being produced globally, and about 10%, 20 million tons is being transported. So there's already shipping infrastructure. There is infrastructure around ammonia carrier. And that's why I believe that Singapore is paying attention to that piece mm -hmm. and say, while well, you cannot bring hydrogen easily to Singapore, let's focus on ammonia first as an ammonia hydrogen carrier. And if you can use ammonia directly, that's even better. So that's why the country is looking at the ammonia power generation and also ammonia bunkering for the ships as well. 
You did talk about the cost. Right now, it is very expensive, as you said. But if Singapore is to choose hydrogen as its main source of energy going forward, what will it mean for us, cost-wise? Will electricity bills be higher or lower? So this comes back to the trilemma question, right? <laughs> so hydrogen may support us in terms of the sustainability and then making sure the energy security is there from different sources. But affordability today, as it stands, is costly.、Mm. That's why whole industry is now working to make sure the technology advance, make sure the efficiency improves, and bring the cost down. Infrastructure-wise, everyone's investing at a large scale to bring the economy of scale here. So again, the outlook here is the hydrogen price will come down.、Mm. But then question comes to how far, when, and then that will be the ultimate equation. So hopefully, again, this comes on par with the natural gas prices. Then it shouldn't affect the consumers eventually, like us. But if it stays high, then there got to be some support mechanism to bridge the gap in the price.、Mm. So that's again Singapore very good in terms of progressively embracing this with this kind of fund because this doesn't happen automatically. If everyone just sits back and wait for it,、mm. it won't happen. Okay, Akash, let's move on to geothermal. I mean, what do we know about our geothermal potential besides Sembawang Hot Springs? Yeah, so there's an interesting dimension here. So when you look at the budget announcement as well, you know Singapore looking into geothermal, nuclear, other options as well.、Mm. So geothermal, I believe the NTU has done the study and that has uncovered the geothermal potential in Singapore as well,、right. which is a good thing because in addition to the solar approach, this provides another resource that Singapore can tap into. Right now, the EMA is launching the nationwide study to say what is the overall potential for geothermal in Singapore. Is、mm-hmm. so、I think it's a very promising development in terms of looking at other options.、Mm-hmm. But also, we have to be putting this in context as well, right? So, global geothermal generation today is about 16 gigawatt. What does that mean? Singapore total grid is about 13 gigawatt.、Ah. So, geothermal alone won't cover Singapore completely. And it may contribute a certain portion of it,、mm-hmm. but I think it's always important to think about the context of the scale,、mm. and that's why looking at all the options is very important. And that's what the Right Thing Singapore is doing. It's not just only gas. It's not only the hydrogen. It's saying let's talk about the import power. Let's talk about nuclear. Let's talk about geothermal. Let's talk about solar.、Mm-hmm. And then the portfolio will eventually provide us the sustainable and affordable and reliable power. Let's talk about nuclear energy. Can we afford to go nuclear, considering factors like safety, sustainability, and public acceptance? That's a very right question, Julie. And then, interestingly enough,、uh, nuclear is getting a renaissance globally again.、Mm-hmm. Today, if you look globally, it's about 440 nuclear units operating globally, and it's powering about 12% of global power.、Mm. So, actually, globally, we are dependent on nuclear too. Now, but having said that, we also saw the recent incidents right in this region as well. Where safety concern for nuclear comes really forefront of people's mind, and that's a concern.、Mm-hmm. The good thing is that there has been a quite a lot of technology development in terms of addressing these things. And then what the, everyone in the market is paying attention to is what's called SMR, small modular reactor. Okay. So conventional nuclear power plant is one gigawatt scale.、Mm-hmm. Uh, this SMR is three hundred megawatt in scale, so much smaller in scale. Okay. And what the technology development has been is that、mm-hmm. not only just the size piece. But this basically enables the quick installation in place. So whereas a traditional nuclear power plant took about a decade to develop and install, this can be done in about three, four years time frame, much faster in terms of deployment. Significant reduction in volume, so it's about ninety percent reduction in terms of the volume requirement.、Mm. So again, for the land constraints place like Singapore, it's a good news.、Mm. And then most importantly comes the safety aspect,、uh-huh. because everyone is concerned about the safety aspect of the nuclear. 
And now the technology has developed to bring in some of those passive safety mechanisms whereby these plants can operate without intervention for about 14 days in case of emergency, which was a luxury we didn't have in the Japan case. Mm. So I think that's, again, good progress. So again, everything has to be taken in balance, right, in terms of what the benefit and then the challenges each technology brings. But nuclear can certainly be an option, and Singapore is not ruling this out yet. Mm. And then it's making a decision. And it is the right move, because even for things like a nuclear, you cannot just decide to procure and then have a nuclear technology in the country. There's a significant amount of capability and then talent resources behind required to make sure that you can operate and run these units as well, right? So mm. the investment going in to study this area, build the capability and so on, is a very important one. And it is important to not rule out that as a part of the potential solutions in a space. Assuming Singapore adopts that small nuclear reactor, where might suitable locations be? I can't imagine. <laughs> I think that will be to be decided, Julia. I think it's always the space's challenge, right? And this is the same for <laughs> many of the uh, resource-constrained countries, too. I mean, so you look at Japan, Korea, Taiwan, mm. right? many of the nuclear countries in this region, certainly where to locate becomes the issue. And I'm sure that will be a discussion in Singapore, too. Because there's also that matter of addressing existing fossil fuel infrastructure that installed over recent decades. Now, how significant of a challenge will it be to retire relatively new coal and oil power plants? Yeah, so it's certainly true, particularly in this Asia region, right. fossil fuel dependency still continues, right? And there are many young coal fleet in the region. Some of them are under 10 years old. Some of them are just built. So they have about 40 years life left in these plants, right? So transition away from this will certainly be challenging. And then there's some creative mechanism going on in terms of refinancing these plants so that we can shorten the life of plant and move on to the renewable other sources without penalizing investors and so on. So right activities are going on. And also there's uh, activities to see could we utilize the existing infrastructure as well, right, to a certain extent. Right. So that discussion is going on. And again, good thing is that some of the asset you invest is not going to be stranded asset, right? So coal is typically considered as a stranded asset mm. because you invest in the emission, the emitting technology today, and then you got a stranded asset for 40 years, right? But as a part of the discussion earlier, if you think of things like a gas technology, it won't be a stranded asset in a sense that there is a ways to decarbonize with hydrogen, ammonia, or carbon capture. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important that as we think about the infrastructure investment, to your point, how do we invest in something which is not going to be stranded? Mm -hmm. Because once you get into the stranded asset, you are locked in with the technology, with the emission for the time being. So considering Singapore's target of achieving net zero emissions by 2050, how realistic is this goal in the, given the current trajectory and the challenges that you mentioned? So we're very encouraged with the way Singapore is setting a very ambitious target, right? So net zero target for sure. And then Singapore also announced that in terms of target to power up to 50% by hydrogen and a clean fuel means. So this kind of drive is very commendable and certainly the right thing to do. And then not only this energy fund, but Singapore has been installing this carbon tax in place, which is one of the highest in the region. Mm -hmm. And so driving that kind of penalties around the emission and yet bringing in this kind of fund to support the development, certainly progressive steps forward. Mm. And then again, this is not going to be an easy journey. I don't think we have a solution to say we're done with 2050 and we are okay to get to net zero by then. We talked about the cost challenges, the investment challenges, right? Impact to the consumer. All these things will gradually come in. So I think important that the industry make a progress in terms of technology mm. and then make sure these things become affordable. 
and then countries to invest in these right, so that we can achieve the net 2050 target as set out. Yeah, we certainly hope so. Energy transition, as you said, is a tricky topic, but yeah, hopefully we can overcome them with right regulatory and infrastructure changes. Thank you very much, Kaz, for your time. It's been very insightful. No, that's great. Thank you very much for your time, Jerry. I really appreciate that. Well, my thanks to Kaz and to our listeners. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple. The team behind this podcast is Tiffany Ang, Sai Nguyen, Joanne Chan, and Crispino Robert. Until next week, this is Julie Yu signing off. Thank you.